0: There's something we need to do right on the top of this <clears throat> message, and I'm going to need you to take out your phones to do it. So it's not going to be unfamiliar to you. You remember several weeks back, Rob had us take out our phones. We shot a QR code and we went to an app called Slido. Do you remember you, you, we all texted in our losses? Do you remember this? We texted in losses. Uh, I'm going to do it with you here. I'm going to ask all of us to do that, do this. This morning, I'm gonna have you go to this, but not losses, okay? So you're gonna text in, and, and online as well, would you do this, please? I want you to go to that QR code, and I'm gonna do it with you, and then I want you to text in your gains. If we, if we, we texted our losses, uh, this time I want you to text your, your gains. What do I mean? I want these to be your hallelujahs. Like, yes, God, thank you. God, I'm grateful for. Oh, God, you have done that. You know what I'm saying? These are your hallelujahs. Everybody with me? So so if you would, I want you to take a moment. I'm going to do it right now, so i got to take a minute. Um, text in your hallelujah this time. Everybody, everybody go ahead and do that. And those of you online, if you would do that as well. Uh, this is going to prove to be, uh, it, it's a part of our message and You'll see as we wrap up our message this morning that uh, these hallelujahs are gonna be important in helping us understand the providence of God. So let me do mine as you are doing yours. Go ahead and keep working on that. Um, I said it's going to be important for us, and it will, because as we step into a bit of a deeper look at the providence of God, uh, these, these hallelujahs will help, help give us context for them. His providence, his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions all his creatures and all their actions. It's the all that can trip us up, isn't it? Let's take our books, our Ruth booklets. If you have your Ruth booklet, let's grab it. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do have your Bible, turn to either one of them, to Ruth chapter one. We're uh, gonna pick up our text today in verses 19 to 22. Y'all, we're wrapping up the first chapter of the book, of our study of the book of Ruth. Uh, By way of context, you know, we're gonna get these last four verses, but we really have to have in our mind's eye the previous verses to which these verses are connected to. So I'm gonna show you a quick slide, and I'm just gonna walk you through it. It's review, and it's important for our context. This is kind of the story arc of chapter one. If the dotted line is the midline of life, I would suggest that chapter one starts below the midline and goes lower. So if you look at it, chapter one, verse one. Uh, chapter one, verse one. There's a famine in the in the there's a famine in the land of milk and honey. Things are wrong. Things are not right. One, two, to five. There's a decade of loss. A man named Elimelech from Bethlehem goes with his wife Naomi and their two boys Malon and Kilion to Moab, a place under God's judgment. But they're going to survive this famine. While they're there, Elimelech dies. The two boys marry Moabite girls. The two boys die. At the end of chapter five, we are on the bottom of the bottom, three widows with no children. And then as, it's, as the story's basing out there in chapter one, verses 16 to 14, there's a return to Bethlehem. Naomi hears, she's working in the field, and she hears there's food in Bethlehem. And so they make the journey back to Bethlehem. On the journey back, Naomi turns to her two daughters-in-law and, and really wishing the best for them, says, you know, your best hope for a future is to go home. Two Moabite widows, they're young. Uh, you, know, they, uh, you know, we know from the story, they're apparently infertile. They couldn't get pregnant over those 10 years with the two boys. And, and she says, your best chance is to go home and marry Moabite Men and, and remember within this context, patriarchal. Everything goes back to the patriarch. You know, everything's tied back to the patriarch, the tribe, the clan. She says your best chance for a husband is there. And then she says, uh, you know, she 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 gives them that that kind of reasonable argument, and then she 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 comes down harder with a theological argument when she says. The hand of the Lord is against me. So, so there's another reason you need to go back. Are you guys with me? Now, Orpah goes back and then Ruth doubles down on Naomi in a way that honestly takes our breath away and in such a way that we said we gotta take a week to look at her words. And Rob did that beautifully last week as we looked at Naomi's pledge of fidelity uh, to Naomi. Naomi. And that brings us now, okay, this is, you know, they're heading back and now we arrive and that's the last four verses. So with that, look in your booklets or your Bible and let's read, follow along your Bibles. This is God's word for us today. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, I don't think any of us, I really don't think any of us would pick up a stone and cast it at Naomi for her words. She's hurting, and yes, she's, she's bitter. Burying a husband and two sons in the span of 10 years certainly would, would, would make one bitter. I asked you two weeks ago, I said, I want you to think about this. Is Naomi a good theologian or is she a bitter woman? I want to add the statements now because I asked you that when she said, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. but now I want you to see what else she says, okay? Notice this and, and I've, I've got on a slide up here, the four statements that she makes. you could pull that up. the Almighty, Shaddai has dealt very bitterly with me. The Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has testified against me. the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Uh, Yahweh is God's name. He has one name, Yahweh, I am. He has many titles. And one of those titles is Shaddai, which we think is rooted in a in, in mountain where it's strength. So, so the great I am, she's not confused there. Uh, the almighty, all powerful Shaddai has dealt this way with me. I've got verse nineteen. Well, in verses 18, uh, verses nineteen. Um, I've got it titled "An Honest Question," because the women, as they return back, and she says these things, um, the women, you know, are 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 looking at a woman who has who has literally changed before their eyes. Not not before their eyes, but but over a period of time. Um, I want you to think about um, some of you went to your 10-year high school reunion. That was a long time ago for me, but it's kind of like it's the 10-year one that you go back and you go, you turn to a friend and you go, is that so-and-so? Because that doesn't look like so-and-so. You know what I'm saying? It's like they've changed so much. Um, Think about what Naomi has been through. Life will change your body, if not your countenance. And, and so the women are talking, is that Naomi? And they're talking and she knows what they're saying. It's a very honest question. Is that Naomi? And I also think it's a very honest question I'm asking us to ponder. Is she a good theologian or is she just a bitter woman? We're gonna answer that question as we move through uh, the responses here in a moment. But I want you to know it's not just, it it doesn't just have to do with our theology as if that's something kind of out there. I wanna suggest how we answer that question has everything to do with our hope. Because life for you and me will not turn out as we hoped it would. It will not, and when it does not, where do we go in our theology? Where do we go when death, disease, injustice, just dirty wrong invades our world? Where do we go? What do we say, and what do we believe? So that's what's at stake in answering that question. Well, I wanna go from an honest question to a bitter reply. So honest question, now bitter reply, verse, verses 20 to 21. It says, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Indeed, Why call me pleasantness? That's her name, Naomi. It means pleasantness. A name in the Old Testament, in the the Bible, quite frankly, it's more than just a moniker to identify a person. It's it's it's, your name for your nature and your character. And can you imagine that this beautiful baby, Naomi, her mother and father looked upon her and saw within her this pleasant nature. And, the, and, and, and my guess is, as a little girl, she's one of those girls that everyone just wants to eat her up. You know, she's just so delightful. She's so pleasant. She's Naomi. In the South, she would have a nickname. We'd call her Sweetie or Sweetie Pie. It's so funny. I had a couple come up to me after the service in Brentwood and, and here in his arms is Naomi. And, and, and the mom said, you know what we call her? Sweet, sweetie. And I go, that's so funny. I didn't, know, I didn't know that. They call her Sweetie. Well, go through what Naomi has gone through. And Naomi now replies, don't call me Sweetie. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me bitter. Now, the writer gives no indication that she was rebuked or corrected for for her outbursts and even for her say, you know, call me bitter. As the story unfolds, no one calls her Mara. No one calls her Mara. And when the story resolves at the end, and by the way, let me say again, please read the whole story. Read the whole story. Read the whole story. Just keep reading. I, I try and read it every time, every week before I teach. I try and I read it. You know, I just go, I'm just going to read the story, take you 12 minutes. But we know how the story resolves. And do you know when the story resolves at the end? Do you know what the women that she says to these women call me bitter? Do you know what they call her at the end? Naomi. No, you're the pleasant one. It seems, and this is a bit of an aside, but I think it's an important one for us, that these wise women allowed Naomi to let her bitterness flow without judgment or condemnation or advice. They didn't respond. They just let it, they let Naomi get it out of herself. And my my exhortation to us and my prayer for us is that, oh, that all of us might have a circle of friends. I don't care if it's one, three, or five, but a circle of trust that's strong enough to hold our bitterness when life deals us blows, to hold our anger. Do you track with me? to hold that with us and for us. I think it's one of the most beautiful things that happens within the storyline here. She's lamenting. Oh, that we all had that. That's why we're always pushing you into community because we need it. Now, in Naomi's mind, okay, let's note this. She says this, I went... I went away full and I have and that I went away full, God has brought me back empty. Okay, that's her words. It's a massive theme in the story. Empty, full, full, empty. We'll see it as it's traced through the story. It's important for us to keep that in mind even to understand and apply the text. That's the facts, okay? And remember when I talked 2 weeks ago about facts and truth? Here's a fact, but what, what's the truth about it? See, that's what we're gonna uncover here in a moment. I'm gonna come back to that full empty, but first I wanna grab the last portion of our text. So we go from an honest question to a bitter reply, 1920. And so let's just grab verse 22, and I'm just gonna put a heading on this called A Hidden Providence. A Hidden Providence. Look at verse 22. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest, at the beginning of the barley harvest. Just a little hint of a hidden providence. Uh, They returned to Bethlehem. It's, It's right at the beginning of this barley harvest and the writer is saying to us pay attention to what's happening here see the harvest when they got back the harvest had come in and now it's being it's being harvested had naomi and ruth come back 6 months earlier it would have been the barley planting There would be no reaping. There would be no gleaning that they're gonna do that's gonna feed themselves. That would have all been in the ground. In God's timing, Naomi heard, oh, Naomi heard there's food. And in God's timing, they they travel back. And in God's timing, they arrive at the beginning of the barley harvest, which is the beginning of the harvest season. First the barley, then the wheat. (laughs) It's like they showed up at the best time for people who have nothing to eat because there's now going to be a 7 to 8 week period of time when the harvest is just rolling in for them do we see that that's what the author's saying reader do you see god's hidden providence there's more remember that we said you got to hold this in Ruth there's more what than meets the eye there's always more than meets the eye now then there's this cringeworthy statement. I say cringeworthy because of how I imagine it. Naomi says, the Lord has brought me back empty. And who's standing with her? Who's standing with her as she says that? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's she's, there's Ruth. By the way, Ruth's not standing with her. Ruth has clung to her. And Naomi doesn't see it. And I do think there's a lesson here for us worth pondering just for a moment. Our, you know, we gotta get that bitterness out, but our, our bitterness at God's providence can blind us to God's blessing in his providence. So, so our bitterness, it can blind us to what is God's blessing in that very hard Providence. I'm gonna say it a different way. When God's hand is against us, we often lose sight that his hand is always for us. I'm gonna say that one more time. When God's hand is against us, we can often lose sight that his hand is always for us. And I hope some of you are a little bit confused because I hope you're kind of in your mind, maybe going something like this. Wait a minute. Did he just say that God's hand, his hand can be against us and for us at the same time? Is that what Lloyd just said? And I would say to you, that's exactly what I said. And it's exactly what I think that the story of Ruth is telling us. Oh, that God's hand is always for us and God's hand can be against us at the same time. Now, I'm gonna tell you why I believe that's true, okay? So, so, so that's the text. Let me give you several reasons why I believe that that, that, that is true. And that's what this story is teaching. And in fact, I think the Bible teaches it. Let me start here. We're, we're answering this question. Is Naomi a, a good theologian or a bitter woman? Well, it's not gonna surprise you, I don't think, but I believe she's both. I believe she's both. She's a, and I was, She's a brilliant theologian. I think she's rock solid in her theology. And she's a bitter woman at this point in the story her bitterness and expression of her hurt and her pain, bitterness, bitterness and emotion, bitterness to be felt, made in the image of God, a God who feels, we need to feel those emotions. But let me tell you something about emotions. They're like waves on the ocean. They hit and then they dissipate. The, the emotions will come and pass, but, but we don't ignore them. I, 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 I grow to admire Naomi more and more the more I'm, I'm in this story. She's not stoic for neither is God and neither is she made in his image. So yes, she's, she's bitter, but I think her, her theology is solid. Because, because of this, and I said this before, I'm gonna go deep, I'm gonna double down on this. Naomi has done nothing, nor has she said anything that would lead us to believe that she has rejected Yahweh. Please note in her cry, and when she says, this is what God has done to me, she says, Yahweh has done this to me. Shaddai has done this to me. Note that when she prayed for Orpah and Ruth, she said, may Yahweh deal kindly Hesed." Covenant faithfulness. May Yahweh deal kindly, unceasing kind have unceasing kindness to you. She's praying to God for God to do what only God can do. May Yahweh give you rest. She knows there's no rest apart from her God, Yahweh. Are you guys tracking with me? So I think she's utterly connected to her God. And I think she understands her God. And the author gives us no reason to think her view of God disappears when she says, and God's hand that I'm praying will be kind to you, it's against me. It's like she has no problem going back and forth between the two. God seems to have no issue about that. We don't hear it. God, there's no rebuke from God in this story. And may, may, may we note this, God's response to Naomi, okay, from this point on, I think if we put a word over it, you know what the word would be? He blesses her. Pours out his blessing upon her. So I think Naomi's theology is very solid Secondly, I, I I I notice that this theme of emptiness and fullness. That if we'll get a grasp on this, we I think we'll begin to understand how it is God's hand is always for us and yet can be against us, and it can happen at the same time. It's all, it's always because it's in God, so it's you know it's a paradox. But um, empty to full, she said, "I I left Bethlehem full." And God has brought me back empty. Now, this is one of those, that's a fact, but what's the truth? Let me give you a different scenario. Imagine you're, I don't know, you're getting ready, you're getting ready for bed or something, you know, you're in your your bedroom and your toddler's kind of wandering around your bedroom, crawling on the floor and you're doing something. You turn around and you notice your toddler. Your toddler's got these two yellow pills in her hand. It's has been ready to swat, getting ready to eat them. It's the Percocet that you set on the nightstand because you had dental surgery and you had the Percocet just in case you need some pain, or whatever. Well, obviously the toddler thinks that's pretty. These shiny yellow pills and get ready and it's getting ready to, to to go there and 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 you immediately grab those out of her hand. I don't know. You might even bruise her, you know, because you're just in such a hurry to get it out because you know, well, that could kill her. She has, she has no idea. In her world, her hand is full of something she wants, and you have emptied her hand. Now, I'm just, it's just, you know, a hypothetical, but I say it to ask you to consider, perhaps Naomi left Bethlehem empty. You go wait no no Lloyd, she wasn't empty well I'm just let me just put it in these categories and I, I want to be so careful when I say this um, she left with a husband and two boys I'm telling you in that culture it done get any better than that I got three patriarchal people in my world right and so that's it's wonderful it's good but there is but one thing that God would tell us that can fill us, that can make us whole. And it's not family even. It's not any good thing, even though those good things are to be enjoyed. It's God himself. God alone can satisfy. And and the story unfolds, and, and could it be, that she went away full or she went away empty, I should say. Her, her idea of full was actually empty, and now God is bringing her back to make her full with the only thing that matters most, God himself. Now, I want you to put away your notes, and I just wanna tell you two stories We're still answering that question, was she a good theologian or just a bitter woman? I say, I think she's both. That God himself is always for us, but can be against us. We go, that can't be. Timmy Vincent, some of you know Timmy, Timmy and um, Brittany Vincent. Timmy used to be on our staff team, Brittany still is, um, our children's ministry. Um, They struggled with infertility for years. And then, uh, she, you know, they went to treatment and whatnot. She's pregnant. And it's just a few months ago. I want to say it's maybe two, maybe three months ago. They had their little boy, Eleazar. Now, there's a name. They're going to grow up and say, what was your mom and dad thinking? Well, they think thinking biblical for sure. Eleazar, you know? They have these Bible names for little Eleazar. Well, uh, Timmy works, they, he, they, he's on a con, he works construction, and they were doing construction right by my office now. And so, I don't know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was just catching up with Timmy because I hadn't seen him in a while. And uh, he's telling me the story. I said, man, how's your, how's your baby? Oh my gosh, you know, they're beside themselves with gratitude for little Eleazar. He says, he's great, he says, but he did, he was born and he had this, this defect and I was not familiar with this at all. And some of you are gonna go, yeah, we, we had this, it's common. He said he had this, um, he, he had a, a tongue tie flap, or, you know, and I go, "Well, I, what is that? And he says, well, you know, there's the skin that hitches on the tongue and especially that little one under your tongue, that thing right there is too connected. So little Eleazar can't latch on to nurse. And he said, yeah, so we've, he had to have surgery and it's real, it's a simple surgery, you know, but they have to clip it. They clip it. Then he said, but what happens is it grows back so fast. He said every four hours I have to lay him down. You're nodding your head. Oh my gosh. So And he puts gauze on his hand and he he goes in there with gauze on his thumb and he has to break the healing. He has to press it so hard. And I'm just kind of like going, you know, oh, that just makes me nauseous. And he said, oh man, he goes, it's really hard. I said, well, how hard do you have to push? He grabbed my arm and squeezed and I went, oh my God. He goes, he goes, Lord, I'm telling you, it's like I'm breaking his jaw. So, but you got to push hard enough. The doctor says, you know, you're pushing hard enough when when he's bleeding, okay? So anyways, a week later, Brittany's there with Eleazar. And you know, I see him in the hallway, whatever, and he says, hey man, I'm getting ready to do that thing. You wanna watch? I'm like, what? I don't think so. i like, well, watching Circumcision? No, I don't wanna see that. So I said, okay. So I went in the conference room. They put, put, the, put the little cradle thing and they put, lay him out on the thing right there. He takes the gauze and man, he goes in there and goes after Eleazar. And he just bursts out crying, you know what I'm saying? I I am not kidding you. I even feel it now. I had cold sweat. I just went, okay, that was good. That's enough. I got to go to my office, you know, and go on. Now tell the story because Timmy Vincent will always be for his son. And being for him, there are times, I don't know how else to say it. He'll be against him. It'll hurt him. And Eleazar won't understand how his father could love him and do that, you know what I'm saying? And do that to him. I want you to look at these words from uh, R.C. Sproul. Brilliant. He's, he's passed away now. Brilliant. Reformed theologian. He writes this in his book, The Invisible Hand. Now, this is written in the 70s, but I pulled it out because it's probably one of my, my favorite books on the providence of God and sovereignty. And he, he's, he's, he's so smart. Half the time you write stuff, I can't even understand it. But this one's very gettable, you know, very understandable. But notice what uh, Sproul says We have seen that it is a dangerous thing to make the rash assumption that God is always on our side. It is true that because we are the people of God, God is always deus pro nobis, that is, always for us. But this being for us must always be seen in an ultimate sense. Let me stop right there. Sproul talks about the idea of ultimate and proximate. And that when we think God is always for us, we always need to think the ultimate sense. That is God's ultimate aim and end, his, our good and his glory ultimately. But in life, we, we live proximate. And so there are things that happen proximate right in front of us that are like, you're not for, you know what I'm saying? So you got to think of it that way, proximate and ultimate. Thus, the paradox in the proximate or more immediate sense, there are times when God is against us. Thus, the paradox is seen that even when God is against us, he is for us. As a father chastens a child he loves, so God at times will thwart our plans and work against us precisely precisely Because he is working for our own ultimate good. God is always for us. Please know that. He is sometimes against us for our ultimate good and his glory. Now, I'm going to tell a second story. But before I do, I want us to step out of the text And and, and I want us to remind ourselves that when we're reading about these losses for Naomi and these things happening in her life, this is not something far away. This is me and you. Several weeks back, I put up, you, you put in the Slido and you put in your losses. I want you to see that slide again. Whatever word you put in, it's called a wordle. So whatever word you put in the most is the word that's going to be the biggest There's there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of losses. There's a lot of pain in the room. This is not somebody else. This is us. So at the beginning of the service, what, 25 minutes ago, I said, let's put in our, our gains, our hallelujahs. So we'll leave that up, but I want you to, I want you to go over here and I want you to notice your hallelujahs. How about, how about this? You know, which one do you want to spend most of your time in? Duh, don't answer. But how about our hallelujahs, our gains, our gladness? Here's the question to wrestle with, okay? And those of you in the back of the room can do this better than those of us in the front, but I want you to catch both of these in your field of vision. And the question that we wrestle with, which of these is God behind? Like, like which of these is God behind? That's the question we wrestle with, isn't it? Which, which of these does God orchestrate? Does God author? Now leave those up and I want to tell you a second story. I had coffee with a, a, a new friend, really, uh, Jared Souza. No, no relation to Nate, but Jared and his wife, Rebecca, moved here maybe a couple years ago from D.C. And um, he was, they, they were at Brentwood and, and they'd gone through the new members class. And he just said, you know, I always like to sit with one of the pastors before we join a church. I said, great, let's go have coffee. We had coffee at Starbucks. It was so fun. He just told his story. I told him mine. Um, but he told me this story and I asked him if I could share it. And he said, oh, well, of course you can. Well, so he, he grew up not in a Christian home. Our stories were so similar. But he had a... Um, When he was in college, he came to faith in in Christ, genuine faith in Christ, right at the beginning. But he really had trouble. He had one foot here and he had one foot here. And and I go, I could so relate. I can so relate to that. You know, you're now a Christian, but man, you wanna do this. We met Rebecca at the same time, and she had both feet squarely in the gospel. (laughs) So she's like, you need to not do that, or hey, you need to follow Jesus. And he's like, he's got both feet in. And one day, he, he went to the lake, which they did often. This is in California. He went to the lake. He's going to the service. As Rebecca said, man, you need to be careful, whatever. And of course they go to the lake and it's a bunch of guys that are having fun. They're drinking. They're just doing what they've always done, normally done, having fun. There's a rope swing at the lake. And all Jared remembers is that the rope wrapped around his head. That's all he remembers. And what happened was the rope wrapped around his head he let go, it popped his head, knocked him unconscious, he's blacked out, it turns out it ripped half his chin off, he's got a scar here, it ripped half his chin off, broke his jaw and boom, he hits the water unconscious and he said his friends, of course, saw it, one jumped in and the friend said, I swam to the blood, that's the only thing I knew, just the blood and I went down. And, he, and Jared said, you know, it's a murky lake. It's, can't, it's not clear water. It's not like you can see to the bottom. And his friend swam as deep as he could. And he was able to grab Jared, bring him up. And of course, he, he, he survived. And his friend later said, this is the part that got me. His friend said, Jared, had you been 12 inches deep, I couldn't have got you. So 12 inches the difference between marrying Rebecca, two biological kids, two adopted kids, and we have a conversation at Starbucks. 12 inches, and there's no Jared Souza. What's the distance between that and that? Like in that case, it was we say it was 12 inches. Who gets to make that call? Who, who makes the call? Because some of you would say, I didn't get the 12 inches, right? But who gets to make that call? Is it fate? Is it chance? Is it some irrational? What I wanna say is, I believe the Bible teaches this. And I say it with like fear and trembling that there's no distance between these two that they're all consumed in our all-sovereign God who reigns and rules and is in control and is taking us to an ultimate destiny and an ultimate good and his ultimate glory. He's over. He's in. The losses and the hallelujahs. This is our God. This is the God of the Bible. And I don't know about you, but when I stop, and again, I say this, because I'm just terrified at times of what could happen in my life or years. I get that. But would you want it any other way? Do you know what I'm saying? Would you want it that, yeah, yeah, there's something more powerful than God and it's evil and it's bad. I, I wouldn't want it any other way. I want to know God's in control. Of all things. And what we need never forget is that while God's fingerprints are on the losses and the hallelujahs, they are blood stained fingerprints with the blood of his own son. And when Naomi said, God's against me, God's brought calamity, I'm bitter, may we, as those who've trusted Christ, know. There has been or ever will be a human being who will take, who will receive more of God against them than the son did when he died for our sins and he drank the full bitter cup of the father's wrath so that the father would not have to crush us but instead bring you and I, to glory. Which brings us to an invitation to life and that would be this. I wanna invite you in this moment to bring your losses and your hallelujahs to the cross. I don't think we'll ever gain any measure of perspective on God's providence apart from the cross of Christ. For when we're at the cross and we see what God did for us, you wanna know if God's for you? you, know, you, can, if, if, you know what, if you wanna know if God's for you, there are times in life where you can't look at what just happened. There's two things you have to do. Not just, oh, this is what happened. You have to stop and go, no, what happened? What happened back here? On the, that, what happened? And not just that proximate, but go out to the ultimate and say, and what is God bringing? Ultimately, See those two things? They bring perspective to the hallelujahs and the losses. So do that right now. And you say, well, Lord, what do you want me to do? I want you to to pause and pray. And I'd like you to close your eyes, bow your head, and I'd like you to just say, Lord, I wanna bring my losses and hallelujahs to the cross and let me see them. Holy Spirit, would you let me see those in light of the cross? The Spirit will show you invite you to do that now. Would you do that, please?